Dude, so I got some good news and I got some bad news. All Which right. one do you want first? What do you got? Bad. I'm all out of lemons. So no man this week. That is bad news. But you ready for the other side? What's the good news? The good news is I'm drinking this lovely bottle of mm. Lagavulin 16. I see. Look you at don't it. really want lemons with that. No, so. no. Ooh. No, so it's actually not too shabby. Look at that beautiful color. Oh, man. No, that looks... What, what would you even call that color? That's freaking... Gold. <laughs> Might as well be. Liquid gold right there, my guy. Did you know that over $5 trillion exchanges hands on a daily basis? That's an average of over $220 billion an hour. Now, how does this much money move every single day, and why does it move the way it does? Here on Drunkenomics, two bartenders who also happen to be students at the University of Nebraska Graduate School of Business are going to sit down and drink to the global economy and try and translate it into English. So sit back, relax, pour yourself a stiff one, and have a drink with us to the comedy that is the global economy. And welcome back to yet another episode, yet another presentation of Drunkenomics. This is the drinking podcast with an economics problem. So glad you all can join us. Hopefully you have a nice stiff one in front of you as I am looking at the legs dripping down of this wonderful whiskey stifter that I have in front of me. Look at those legs. Oh, yeah. See those legs, James? No, I, I love a, you know, when you're, you always hear like, oh, are you a, a leg guy or are you a, uh, a viscosity guy it's like <laughs> legs sounds better yeah you know? i know i just like i love the like like after you take a sip of the scotch and you kind of see the you know it trickle down the, the glass i don't know i love that look mm-hmm. um best looking legs i'll see all day today but uh yeah so glad you all could join us of, of course if you are about to drive somewhere don't have that stiff one in front of you wait till you're done driving for the day uh please drink responsibly and please be drunk economical but uh, so glad you all can join us by the power vested in the VIX and its inability to stay above 23 yesterday. I would like it. to welcome us all back as the more gracious host. Not happy about it, just saying. Not bragging also, just saying. My name is Aaron Wong and I'm joined alongside my favorite Scotch drinking buddy. And less, what was your name again? And less gracious host, James Goldwater. <laughs> Although to be fair, while I may not be graceful at all, I mean, or gracious, I'm just... As always, yeah. I do have the dogs with me, so yeah, there you go. So like, I'm buoyed by their resilience. They certainly make the picture on the other side of the screen much easier to look at. Not that you're not a good-looking guy, James, but no. uh, I'm just you know. No, but I get it. Like, I'd rather look at them than look at me. Well, they certainly are some that's scene me. stealers, if uh, if that's any consolation. But yeah, seriously, welcome back. So glad you all can join us. Uh, before we continue any further, I must make the disclaimer that uh, none of this is financial advice. The thoughts and views that we express on this drinking podcast is our own thoughts. They do not reflect the thoughts and views of our employers or any of our clients or anybody that we work with. Um, These are our thoughts only, and they are gathered from information that is already publicly available. If you're wanting to know where we gather those pieces of information, uh, we do have our works cited, not really a works site that we publish, but uh, if you want to ask for an article or ask for a video or whatever it is, feel free to hit us up at Drunkonomical. That's at D-R-U-N-K-U-N-O-M-I-C-A-L. That's us on Instagram, Facebook, X Twitter, Twitter, which is now X. So Mm. yeah, same handle there. You can always hit us up on LinkedIn as well. I believe it's just linkedin.com slash drunkenomics. Yeah, from there, you can also find the invite to our Discord. It's free to all. We've got several different chats going on in there. With that, Todd, what's up, man? 
How yeah. have you been? We've had some we've had some have, fun people checking back in after a while, which is great. I know, seriously, Todd, I missed you, man. But uh, man, I didn't even see the Andor Logic Gates question. I believe I did. We answered that one already. I don't even know. Uh, the, I mean, it's a great question. Uh, those are actually two great questions. They're two very interesting questions. Um, I'll be honest. I'll get back to you. I want to look at those a little bit. Yeah, a little bit more closely, because like you know, on the one hand, like. Why is the Taliban selling American equipment to China? Well, because it's useless to them. They can't maintain it. Like there, there's a huge maintenance like cost to doing it. And you need people who are specialists and you need the right tools. And Chinese yeah. don't need that. They just want to know what are its weaknesses? What is it? What is it driving? What's the equipment inside doing? Yeah, um, that's a good question, though. I mean, uh, essentially, Andrologigates, that's the uh, handle, uh, the Discord handle. But he's yeah. saying, I was curious. So the Taliban is selling American tanks to China, which... Uh, the Taliban has seized those tanks when the when when America when they decided when, they were in charge of Afghanistan. And, yeah, we, we um, from, no one told them they weren't. Exactly. So when we threw from Afghanistan, that happened. So they took the tanks. Now they're they're selling to China, and they're using that money that they that they are, I guess, it's exports. Right. That technically that's an export. So you're exporting tanks to China. You receive you receive uh, Chinese yuan, and they take that. Or I guess they don't receive Chinese yuan. China will convert, the, stuff from will convert their yuan. Yeah, sorry, my bad. They will convert their yuan to uh, whatever the the Afghan dollar is, and then um, so yeah, that, that's the question. I, I don't know that much about it. I I, I do think it, it does show some some willingness to do business, to to participate in commerce, and to establish a, a business a business relationship, if you will, yeah. uh, between between the Middle East and China. So the problem is they're selling a resource that. Has they have a yeah? It's, it's not, not like it's not like they have a factory. You know. It's and it's just get they, you know as long as they can get the raw materials, no. they can keep in the stuff. Yeah. So you know, at some point, it's going to run out. I mean, maybe you know these uh, these exports do finance something important. I don't know. I was to say that it might actually be a very shrewd economic decision by Afghanistan um, to not buy Chinese products, to buy Pakistani products, because if you become addicted to Chinese goods and you no longer have anything that the Chinese are willing to buy, you'll find yourself in a position of needing to buy, needing to acquire yuan and not having an easy way to do it. But you do a lot of cross-border business with Pakistan. So yeah, yeah maybe that's just, maybe that's extremely shrewd economics. I don't think it is, but it's, it's probably because Pakistan isn't buying or selling U.S. military yeah. equipment because they're busy holding on to it. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I, that's, I, I, I'll take a deeper look at that and I'll come up with a, um, probably a more cogent answer. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough um, one. Uh, but I really appreciate the question. And the second question they asked, what do you think of the SPX constantly gapping up? And this is from August. So outdated answer. I really apologize for that. But uh, I maybe we answered it and we just went too long. And then I probably had to edit it out for continuity purposes uh, and, mm-hmm. to, and to not bore you guys to death. But uh, in terms of the SPX constantly gapping up at open and then closing lower, that's seriously, that all that is is just a sign of reluctancy to buy in. You know, that's people willing to scout, yeah. but no one willing, re, no, no one willing to, to actually stay convicted and, and to really believe the secular bullish trend that, that could be happening in the short term. So that's, that's what I think yeah. of that. Like if, if that, if you do see that a lot, that just means there's just a, a lack of conviction. It's like a limp dick, man. It's like, there's no conviction. Uh, to, me, know, so. uh, to me, that just shows short-term pessimism and, um, and yeah, it's and in, and in August, September, yeah, totally mm-hmm. expected. Not 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 shocking at all. Yeah, September is always that kind of month, right? And you know, for eight straight days, that just means people want to buy in, people want to believe in something. But at the end of the day, they just have nothing really to believe in, and they need to put their money to work at some capacity. But at the same time, 
you know, they're having a tough time telling people this is why we're, we're going into these things. Yeah. So because of that. They didn't see any big news that they said, that's good. That's great. That's why I'm here. They went, yeah. I think it's going to ride up. Maybe if it rides, I'll, I'll make some money and I'll cash out because I, I'm here because I think it's going to do great, but I don't have a reason to know it's going to do great or I don't have a reason to expect it to. Yeah. And then at the open, there's always a rush of volume. I mean, I don't know if it's buy or sell volume, you know, or advancing declining. Well, it's, volume. Just, it's, over. It's, it's always, yeah, at the, right at open, it's always a ton of volume right at open because um, there's orders, there's pre-market orders that kind of pause for two trades. minutes. Yeah, and th- there's usually a pause of, of pre-market trading right before the open. Maybe it's just those orders because they didn't get filled or didn't get put in in time. And also because they didn't get canceled in time, they end up getting to the floor of the exchange that they get routed to. And then next thing you know, uh, there's just this rush of volume that, uh, that honors the order. But additionally, Really appreciate the question there. Uh, Todd KKP, been a while, man. Gosh, so good to hear from you. I do really like your question about Nat Gas. Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let me just read the question out loud just so we all have a little bit of context. But he's basically asking, do you believe the, the conflicts in the Middle East? We all know. We talked about it a couple of weeks ago. It was a very, uh, unfortunately, demoralizing episode. And I appreciate you guys drinking along with us in that episode. But... Uh, yeah. With all that, um, Takagupi is asking, do you believe that it's going to drive not just oil prices, but nat gas prices up as the whole world seems to be destabilizing lately? Also, in addition uh, to this, how much do you think it could destabilize the global economy as a whole? Two great questions there. Yeah, two really, really good questions. I'll be honest with you. I haven't seen any sanctions yet. Do we remember how much oil and nat gas Israel, Egypt, all those countries. So that isn't that isn't what I'd be looking at. So oil, definitely. Um, For me, the big thing right there is the Suez Canal. Oh yeah. You know, one boat gets stuck and and business stops traveling through that for a little bit, and the global supply chains. um, Yeah. A a bomb or a. uh, I was talking to a friend of the podcast recently, and he and I were uh, talking. He's like, you know, yeah. If you if you really look at it, like. Hamas hasn't been that great to Egypt either. Like the, the attacks on the Egyptian side from Hamas were occurring about the same frequency as the attacks on the Israeli side from Hamas. So it's, it's, <laughs> there's very clearly no like love lost there. Um, yeah, unfortunately. So, yeah. You know, yeah, if, you, if Hamas decides that the way it needs to react is to strike out against something, they aren't that far from the Suez Canal. Now, I'm certain that a lot of yeah, people and authorities but, have yeah. considered that and um, are prepared. So that's what I'd be worried about, most worried about right there. Um, next is... Yeah, it's kind of like that quote from Tropic Thunder, if the machine breaks down, we break down. Or I guess the inverse of that quote, if we break down, the machine breaks down. That's that's kind of how petty Hamas yeah. probably would be. Yeah. But anyways, and yeah, that'd be go a position on. I think they'd be willing to take. <laughs> As for... Unfortunately, I'm not laughing about it. So that's bad. just all supplies. Yeah. So oil, um, you know, you really don't want a big dust up there. The real yeah. issue is, is that you've got, you've now got... China, which you have Russia, which is essentially at this point, I would say, has spent all its political capital in the Middle East. It doesn't it, it doesn't have any and it doesn't have any military capital it can really put in. It's yeah. very busy squandering that in Ukraine. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> squandering. Good word choice. Well, I mean, I'd say <laughs> I, I, some cost fallacy, but it's people. <laughs> Beyond that, you've got yeah. essentially the issue of just China try to get involved. Well, China's tried to buddy up and cozy up to a lot of those nation states. Yeah, but. It's now in a position where it doesn't want to condemn anything. It doesn't want to come down too hard. And that's probably going to throw it off. Some of it's um, the U.S. is putting military assets there, which is affecting 
the outlook of some of our allies and other trade and military partners. So yeah, yeah no, it's it's not good. Like it's it's, no, it's not good. I like, but to be honest with you, I don't think because of how globalized the entire global economy is, and I don't mean to say the word global so many times in the same sentence, but I just think because of how globalized the, the entire world supply chain is and because of how efficient it is, I don't necessarily think it's going to destabilize the, the entire global economy that much. You know, we could see a temporary spike in net gas prices just because of panic sellers, because of derivative markets, um, kind of like the, yeah. there's a... I forget what it's called, but it's it's where the open interest is the magnet. You know, if you're a derivatives trader or anything like that, like you, you I mean, you, you've heard that before. You've heard that expression with with the open interest magnet. Maybe that could happen with oil futures, kind of pulling the price of oil and that gas up, uh, just because people are trying to uh, hedge and make sure that they're protected if oil prices shoot through the roof. Or whatever it is, right? So, um, yeah, yeah. So see, I, I, I think you'll definitely see that. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I do think we could see some temporary spikes or some temporary drawdowns or whatever it is that just uh, that essentially create some sort of lag effect or, or tracking error so, with the actual with the actual price of uh, of what like the consumers are paying for at the end of the day, what the end clients are paying for it. What what I'll say is, and this is this is maybe a little bit. This is more of a long term view because uh-huh. there's nothing you can do about this in the short term. Uh, to <laughs> me, this is another indicator, or this is another um, this is another reinforcing factor uh, between the conflict in Ukraine, threats and concerns in Southeast Asia around Taiwan, yeah. this this renewed Middle Eastern instability, and and frankly, U.S. House issues. Um, I don't mean ho- housing; I mean the, the House actual House of Representatives. Yeah, yeah. I think I think this <laughs> is just another another flare being shot up from essentially the people who were right going. Hey, just in time was great when it was <laughs> like the period for just in time is over. Now we have to start just planning for just in case. So we're going to see that. that yeah. I think we're going to see a big trade off from just in time into just in case. Yeah. Do you Especially think, with international trade. Yeah. Do you think there's anything in terms of reserves that, that changes? Because I know like we depleted a lot of reserves in an effort to, to tame inflation and to kind of tame whatever OPEC, you know, we talked about this last year, right? Um, You know, the U.S. is a net energy exporter. Yeah. We have a strategic petroleum reserve, which, you know, it has some limits, but it does exist. Yeah. Uh, I I am not, from a a U.S. perspective, I'm not overly concerned. I'm not either. uh, By the supply. We have enough supply to take care of ourselves. That's that's true, and it has been for a very long time. The issue, I think, is that in this case, unfortunately, you do have, and this is the the funny thing about capitalism is we have the resources to take care of it, but the markets in this case are getting in the way and they're going, there's a bunch of people in between the oil and the end user going, I'm going to make profit. Like I'm going to make some money playing on next year's or next month's oil futures, essentially saying, I'll I'll buy it for this, I'll buy it for this. And the seller, the producer of oil is, is more than happy to sell that at a higher and higher price, right? Yeah. A supply, the law of supply says, I want like the higher the price, the more I'm willing to sell. Well, it, um, and that's the thing. Well, it's not even that. It's like the higher the price, the more I'm willing to produce, which eventually. Well, because I'm going to sell it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, yeah, I mean, I know you're kind of like connecting the dots, like three dots out. But uh, yeah. Like, yeah. It's, yeah, it's no. the more. The- no, but you're absolutely right. Like, it's, it, you know, I, we've said this before the cure for high prices is high prices. If net gas shoots up, because but that's the demand middle, side. Yeah, exactly. One hundred percent supply side. One hundred percent. It's all it's all 
It's led by demand side. The, the, the demand yeah, the, side the, is the what's driving The addictive cause everything. of high prices is high prices for supply. <laughs> exactly. So, like, a question that I have for you, Todd KKP, my man, great to hear from you. Hope, uh, hope, hope the hangovers aren't too bad for you. But uh, the question I have for you is, if net gas prices do shoot up and do stay at a higher terminal rate, if you're a net gas producer in the U.S., what are you going to do? Right, you're you're, gonna, you're gonna operate at max cap. You're gonna spend money. You're gonna you're gonna f- somehow finance the ability to hire more people to produce more nat gas because well, you can sell it at a higher price. That's what you'd expect, right? But I mean, not 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 permanently, but like you, you'll do that short term. What? That's what you'd expect to happen. But they might. It's possible that if you're a nat gas firm, you might you might learn from you might have learned from the oil companies, and you might actually not do that. You might sit mm. here and say, my my oil fields and my production ability is gonna give me. Um, you know, however many well, I'm saying, but cubic, in the short cubic feet of gas, and yeah, but I'm saying in the short term, right? Like, like why wouldn't you do that? You know, because like, the, the, how, like how drastically different is the political environment for the net, for net gas producers going to be in the next six months? It's probably not going to be that oh, different, yeah, no, right? Like, so that, that's what I'm saying. Well, like, uh, what I'm saying is they might they might open the taps and go full tilt on what already exists. I'm not sure they'll expand production. No, uh, yeah, because that's uh, a, that's that's media that's a medium and long term. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, it's oh. like pouring a beer. You pull the tap down all the way if you yeah. know net gas prices are going to be high. Oh yeah, yeah. You f- you fully open the tank for sure. Yeah, but you're not building new factories because that's a 10, 15 year process. We have no idea what's going to happen in the political environment in mm-hmm. the emergence of new competitors of new businesses because people are always trying to find a new energy source or whatever it is so we have no idea what it's yeah. gonna look like 15 years from now so yeah i i hear what you're saying there but i'm saying in the short term like if i was a oh, yeah. gas producer i'd be trying to produce as much i'll sell, you, I'll sell you all the natural there we go that, yeah that that, 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 uh, that one scene in um in the big short i'll sell you all the tri- all the uh um, the triple a all the triple a uh swaps all the triple a uh, trucks uh, you want uh, what, yeah. what was he selling it was like a they were uh, in they were in the Vegas swaps. that's right yeah so like yeah the false swaps yeah what do i do can i get the triple a I'll sell you all the AAA you want. Yeah, exactly. Which is kind of ridiculous because it's like the AAA default swaps were trading at such low price. But whatever. I mean, yeah. So yeah, that's essentially the way I look at it too. Is like if oil prices shoot up, if net gas prices shoot up, you know, oil unfortunately, like there's not much we can do. Like I, I think we're pretty much already operating at full full max cap. But um, net gas, yeah, I do. I certainly think if prices do shoot up, net gas producers around the world are going to try to produce more. Uh, and, yeah, and they're going to go absolutely. full tilt all, all across the board. Now, there is a point where demand could just outpace supply by way too much. I don't think it's going to get there. At least I hope not, you know, like, you know, not, not just because of of the price of net gas, but also the human capital, you know, at stake here is certainly something that uh, that is concerning to me. But uh, yeah, great to seriously, man, great to hear from you. Uh, hope all is well with that. I would like to talk about some of the things that I've been hearing a lot on CNBC this week. Let's kick off with the one conversion that gets us from there to CNBC. Watching CNBC yesterday, you have oh. the uh, the big merger. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll say this. In the US, this might actually have more to do with gas prices is that Chevron bought Hess for $53 billion in stock, right? So <laughs> All stock deal. Yep. Uh, <laughs> what does Hess even do? They're do a gas know? station mainly. So Hess is also a... Um, yeah, so they're they're an oil nat ga- an oil gas and energy exploration. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, yeah. it's it's they they're in the same business as um, they're in the like, same business as Chevron. Let's yeah. Put it that way. Okay. They just they've had they've had some some rough years and they're yeah you know but yeah that's pretty interesting. Um, 
it was an all stock deal. Mm-hmm. Chevron, I think, is is kind of desperate. I think they're looking to expand market share and get and get kind of competitive with some others. And so, what do you do? You acquire it. Yeah, gets you into a bigger stack. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, hopefully, their assets, their R and D, their talent could get you whatever it is mm-hmm. that you're looking for. I, I don't know. I th- I think Chevron kind of looks at the the landscape of 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 energy of the energy business, and they they're just kind of like what we do might be the blockbuster of the energy cycle or of the energy business, you know, so maybe there were assets at Hess that kind of was a thorn in the side to, uh, to Chevron. Maybe they had some yeah. research or, or whatever it is. Yeah. I don't know. It's entirely possible it. that, so here's the other thing. It's like, let's just say you and I were competitive, get we're, we're competing gas stations uh, in, in a town. Yeah. What's a hell of a lot easier for one of us to own both. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, Oh, this Absolutely. guy takes away thirty percent of. This guy takes forty percent of my business in town. Well, if that's my if that's my big competitor who takes forty percent of my business, I, I want to acquire him or drive him out of business. Yeah. Um, so you come up to me and you say, "Here's you know ten million dollars. Leave me alone." And then I say, "You know what? That's a great deal. I'll take the ten million and leave you alone." Oh, by the way, oh, you're paying ten million yeah, in or essentially you're paying ten million in, in in stake of your company. Oh man, that's freaking cash flow for the rest of my life. Deal. Exactly. You know? It's oh, I so, don't have to. I don't have to go through this the any of the work anymore. But I still get all the benefits. It's not just a one time payout, and I can still sell out for blank amount of money. Yeah, yeah I'm in. exactly. So I mean, that was pretty interesting. I, I I think that was a. I think that's a great headline. Um, I don't know what's going to come of it, but I think the energy sector as a whole, w- with the political environment, with the emergence or the hopeful emergence of new. What do we like? New alternatives? Was it, is that what you would call it? New alternatives? Yeah, alternative energy products. Yeah, like yeah, diff- just different types of energy products. Um, I don't know, cleaner, more efficient, like all those things. I, I, I'm a huge fan of. Uh, so so as I'm looking, I'm looking at kind of the details of the deal or why. Um, and Chevron's stated reason is that so Hess is a premium exploration company. Um, yeah. So they're looking for new new fields to exploit. And then um, also that Hess has a strong position in in Guyana, right? So That's the- um, The country? Yeah. Oh. So wow. huge, huge amount of uh, untapped resources off the coast there and and in their exclusive economic zone. So if Hess, is, if Hess has an ownership stake, then you might say, I'm buying this to get these things. I, w- I want the exploration team and I want that. I'm oh. willing to buy all the rest to get them. Yeah, fair enough. But the fact that it's an all stock deal also concerns me. Uh, and we talked about this a lot before. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of debt does a company like Chevron issue if well, they're trying to finance? I, we a deal could ask. With- so it's an all stock deal. So the real question is, how much treasury did they have laying around? Yeah. Uh, and then how much did they have to issue to do this? So how much did this maybe? And not maybe. How much will this? How much will this dilute the voting rights of current owners? Well, um, but like if you look, if you look at the market, if you look at the market price of CVX, which is the ticker for Chevron, if you look at the market price for that stock when this deal was announced, the market did not react positively to this to this deal. And like I said, to answer the question that I asked earlier, you know, because uh, I know the answer to the questions that I ask because they're easy. But whenever Chevron issues debt, whenever oil companies, energy companies issue bonds, they're generally high yield bonds. And when they're called high yield bonds, what's the other nickname for high yield bonds? Well, it depends on what you're looking at. In the housing market, it's called subprime, but most other places it's called junk. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, junk bonds are yeah. Junk bonds are the essentially the subprime version of uh, of corporate of corporate debt. But yes, um, I bring that up because I kind of want to segue into this this talk of of higher for longer. You know, and we'll see what comes out of the deal. We'll, you know, if we see anything, we'll keep you posted. In the meantime, I guess keep your eye on CVS CVX. CVX uh, is Chevron. Yeah. Yeah, but it's but it's not looking good, right? Like if you look at just look at the five day chart, God, that's an ugly chart. So and like yesterday before open, like it, it gapped down massively. So just you know, just keep your eye on that. We'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. But yes, um, you know, speaking of of high yield debt, this whole narrative of higher for longer. You know, if you've seen CNBC this week. It seems like everybody, all they were talking about on CNBC was higher for longer. And a lot of these different strategists, I mean, I think it was, but it was UBS or Bank of America. Yeah, it was UBS. Okay. So um, one, of their, one of their chief strategists, uh, last name Newman, some lady, I forget mm-hmm. her first name, some lady Newman of UBS said on the exchange with Kelly Evans said that um, they're calling for bonds to have equity-like returns in the next 18 months. So... I just thought that was really fascinating. And if you look at like also, uh, you know, other big hedge fund person, other big, big name in the finance world, Bill Ackman, you know, we've talked about him before, billionaire investor, hedge fund guy, uh, also founder of Pershing, which is a huge market maker. But yeah, Bill Ackman, he shorted US treasuries a while ago. Uh, The 10 year crossed above 5%. He covered a short. What a trade. What a freaking trade. The 10 year yield went from like four, six to five. Oh, three or and something it like about that. Two days. It was maybe two or three. It was two or three days when it when it covered that. Like I was sitting there last week when it when it was it was it was like four nine nine three or something. Yeah, yeah. When I was looking. I think I texted you and I was like above five by the end of the day if it keeps this shit up. For and sure. And I think dude. at the same time as we were doing that, it was like, oh yeah, the thirty year fixed is now the average rate for a thirty year fixed is now over eight percent. Yeah. For the first time in 22 years. And I'm like, well. Yeah, exactly. That's huge. Yeah. So especially if you're, you know, if, if you're on the market for a house and you need to take on a loan to get the house. Yeah, that's that's huge. And I think the reason why it happened, which we'll get into more later, was the whole speaker of the house situation, which we'll talk about more later. But yeah, like yeah. in terms of the fixed income asset class. I think it's going to outperform. Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. I was, I was going to ask you, like, do you think yeah. the ag fixed income index, which is the, the Bloomberg ag fixed income index, which is really... I hate to use the word ag fixed income index because what does that even mean? Yeah. You know, but it's it's essentially like try to think of it as the S&P total market for fixed income. But it's just it's so weird because it includes all different types of securities across duration profiles, across, you know, risk profiles, it includes all that, th- all that stuff and it's weighted differently. But yes, the, the Bloomberg ag versus the S&P 500. Uh, you think the ag is going to outperform in the next in the next 18 months? I mean, 18 months, but 18 let's... months, I don't know. I think, I think that for the next eight months, I think, okay, if, the, if they can avoid government shutdown, I think fixed incomes, no, even then, even then your fixed incomes outperform because your Equi- equities go to shit. Okay, that's a good point. And I also think too, like, like think about all the indicators for the ag fixed income. So like, and I want to track this, I'm going to put it, I, you know, as you're talking, I put a reminder in here in my calendar to check back. Right before election day next year, November 1st, I'm going to check mm-hmm. the SPLG ETF versus the AGG, you know, the one year performance of the SPLG versus the AGG. And I'll get back to all you guys, everybody that's drinking along with us, I'll get back to you and kind of let you know 
which one performed. But the AGG ETF is essentially the Bloomberg Ag. It's, it's the indexing, the passive indexing fixed income ETF that tracks the Bloomberg Ag index. SPLG is the low cost S&P 500 ETF. It's essentially like SPY, but a little bit different. So yeah, let's let's check and see which one outperforms. But to your point, I do agree with you. I do think fixed income does outperform. I also think we have to look at what's going to happen with with the Federal Reserve, with Fed action, because I do believe there is a chance for one more hike. I don't know if it's going to be a 10, uh, 10 basis point hike or 25 basis point hike. I don't know what kind of hike it's going to be, but I think between now until January, the, the January meeting, uh, I do believe there is going to be one more hike. I don't know which meeting will have the hike. I don't think it's going to be this the one coming up next week, but I do think there is going to be a hike either in December or in January, one of those months. And I think that's going to disrupt the fixed, obviously, rate hikes are going to really impact the fixed income asset class. But at the same time, rate hikes also impact the equity asset class. And additionally, what's the big risk for the fixed income asset class? Defaults, right? Absolutely. If a company defaults on a loan, that's going to really hurt the ag index. But guess what else that's going to hurt? That's going to hurt the equity index too. So It hurts the equity index too, especially. Yeah, yeah. it's... So I think, like I said, I think I think the fixed incomes will really will look really solid. I think they will they will probably outperform for the next eight months. I don't know about much longer than that. Um, well, it depends on I, the cop out. It depends on market conditions. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's certain headwinds and tailwinds that I think you know could could set things off and and could really create an imbalance. You know, for instance, if we if we call a recession, like if we say we we were in a recession, I don't think that's going to spook equity markets as, as much as it is going to spook fixed income markets. Because I think fixed income markets are, are, way, are more present thinking and equity markets are more future thinking, more forward thinking, just in terms of how they react to broader economic conditions. Yeah. So yeah, that might, that might cause a, uh, a, a disruption. And now this is not financial advice, mind you. This is not a, I'm not advocating for people buying the ag fixed income index because if you if you want to invest in fixed income i don't believe in just buying the ag personally um but that's also not financial advice no i just um, i just think i just think what i what i'm saying is i think you're going to see fixed uh fixed income series of bonds yeah really kind of come into their own and for me the big thing on that is that you know you've got you've got all these financial institutions that are still trying to fight the fed they're not they yeah. aren't accepting that higher rates for longer they're trying to publicly get the fed to, they're trying to complain publicly to get the fed to change their mind they're trying yeah. to push the fed to to do what they're trying to do and then when they think the Fed's going to do something, they're trying to position themselves to make money off of the Fed's decision. And yeah. if they're not right, they complain. And so like, on the one hand, I understand that is your business model. It's your job to do that. But as a whole, I look at it and I go, you guys are fighting the Fed. They've told you to stop trying to fight them, to just go yeah. with it. They've told you we're going to go higher longer. We're going to hold here. So it's yeah. stop trying to fight it. Yeah. Like if you look at every single, I mean, every asset manager this year, they were predicting in January, if you look at JP Morgan and Goldman and all their sentiments for the year 2023, they were predicting that the Fed was going to cut rates before the end of this year. And here we are, right? Like, is anybody, tell me, is anybody forecasting a rate cut before the end of 2023? No way. And people are still projecting a rate cut by 2024, end of 2024. Personally, the only thing I need to see is is something something's gotta give. So, like something needs to break. If that were to happen, if the Fed were to really overcook everything and lead us straight into a recession, in that mm-hmm. case, I do believe equity 
you know the, the SPLG like that ETF, the broad you know the SP five hundred could outperform the ag fixed income index. Additionally, government shutdown because the ag fixed income index is predominantly U.S. Treasuries. A government shutdown, a speakerless house. These things are not good for U.S. Treasuries, and because they're not good for U.S. Treasuries, they're not good for the yeah. ag. They're not good for agents. Like most of the ag is like half the ag is U.S. Treasuries or agency mortgages, uh, which essentially are semi it's all it's all tied to some sort of confidence in the system and the government Exi- and like, yeah so u.s treasuries and agency more like they're all and and then of course there's the, the in the mortgage the mortgage-backed securities the freddie may fannie matt you know, like th- those securities a lot of those mbs's are in the ag that makes up like the bulk of the ag right there kind of like the s&p 500 it's like you know the top seven mega cap names make up like half of the ag or half the s&p not, not really i'm exaggerating make up they actually make up like 20 Five percent of the of the SP five hundred, but yeah, like U.S. Treasuries, they make up like more than half of the ag fixed income index. So uh, yeah, personally, you know, just just big picture, I personally think the ag will outperform the SP five hundred. Uh, I'm not like it's not to say that I think the SP five hundred will will perform terribly in the next uh, in the in the next let's call it twelve months. Uh, but I just think once we kind of see that the Fed has hit that terminal rate, which we think. Which I think probably will happen by January, if not December. I think once we hit that terminal rate, the fixed income asset class will probably start to get its bearings, and fixed income investors can kind of figure out the the outlook from there a little bit better and invest with a little bit more certainty, especially compared to equities. Default rates I don't think are going to go much higher than three and a half percent. Personally, that's that's just my view on the ag. Yeah, I I want to see. I want to watch the next two months personally. like I said, my big thing for how the economy is going to be doing and how um, how everything's going to look is I want to look at how uh, November and December how how student loan repayments affect yes. um, consumer oh. spending. Yeah, because there's that. Oh God, yeah, there, yeah. Student loan repayments. That's my that's card. my big yeah. driver. Yeah, that that and credit card credit card debt. Oh, absolutely. Um, and that's and that's absolutely yeah. attached. Yes. So okay, like if you perfect. start if yeah. you see things if you see those things start to go, then you can expect probably well, more weakening in the equity side of things just because revenues will be down. Yeah. And it won't help with with fixing, you know, the, the fixed income ag either. But I don't think. I mean, let's let's be honest. Like the ag should be less volatile than the S P five hundred. That's just the way these asset classes work. Equities should be more volatile than you know the broader fixed income asset class. That's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Um, it hasn't been that way in the last uh, few years. Uh, they've all been volatile. But, yeah. Well. Yeah. Not a whole lot of room with interest rates historically. The last. 20 years or last 10 years. Yeah, exactly. So, but we'll see. Um, but with that, like, you know, speaking of the speakerless house uh, affecting the ag, I thought last week I must amend what I said. I said that Jim Jordan was a front runner. I thought he would be a shoe in. I thought he'd be a shoe in. Like, I, I mean, not really a shoe in, like, because, uh, you know, no one can get along anymore. But I thought, like, he would be the speaker of the house by this time. And he's not. And then they brought forth this guy Tom Emmer. Literally this morning, he was the he was the candidate for the Republicans. Yeah, and then they, by they put, and then they, by three o'clock this afternoon, he wasn't anymore. So like, yeah. So it used to be it used to be that the Republican Party, if you if you won the leadership race in the back room, they were all going to come out and vote for you. That's yeah. not happening now, and it's not. It doesn't think it's going to happen. You know, in in the public votes, Jim Jordan. Only had twenty to tw- you know it was like twenty to twenty two people saying no, from his own party going no, which is still too many. He could only afford three, 
I think. Yeah. But then when they went into private, that, that went up to a hundred something. It, it multiplied by Oof. five almost. And so it's like, okay, yeah, a lot of people don't like you privately. Publicly, <laughs> most of them were willing to come out and do the thing that, that historically has been done by your party. Yeah. Like, this is what it looks like. It looks like the people, like the, the people that like the, the majority of the Republicans are putting up now that they're voting for, they expect the Democrats to cross the aisle and give them some votes to get them in yeah, so no. they can cut off the, the extreme wing of their own party. The problem is, and I think I've said this before, is uh, when someone else has something you need and you want it from them, you have to offer them something. And yeah. it looks like Which they're not willing no. to do that. And so because they're not willing to do that, the Republican Party is sitting here going, we have a majority. Well, why don't you have a speaker? Well, we can't figure that out yet. And so, yeah. well, I don't know why they don't just do a ranked voting, <laughs> a ranked vote to pick who they want to pick. It's so weird because I, I, I feel like, you know, each party kind of has its like, you know, like even like the Republicans have this for sure. The Democrats also for sure have it, but they have like their extreme leftists in, in, oh, yeah. in the Democratic there's a, Party. There's always a which, wing. Yes. Yeah. We, yeah. So there's like, you know, the left wing of the left wing and then the right wing of the left wing, which is really just more like kind of left middle. And then there's like the right wing of the right wing, and you know, and then the and then the kind of right middle part. Yeah, like they can't even get along within their own parties. You know, it's it's literally like like just look at like the Republican Party when Trump got when he before he was the candidate in 2016. It was like half the Republicans were like, we, "This guy is just absolutely crazy." We, like we we can't stand behind him, guys. Please not. Please don't put your support behind not him. Not this guy. Just anybody but but him, right? And then and then half the Republicans were like, "Yes, Trump. Uh, we love Trump." No, then, he's like, great. Look at what he does to the base. Yeah, and then if you look at the, the Democrats, it was kind of like the Bur the Bernie versus the Joe Biden, right? Which Joe Biden was more yeah. viewed as like the, the more middle grounded, and then Bernie was the like the, the ultra left. Yeah, like in the realm of that political space, right? And yeah. and there was certainly a division there, um, just like there was a division in, in the other side. And I think if you bring that scope up to the House of Representatives, we're certainly seeing that with whoever this yeah. Tom Emmer guy, Tom Emmers or Tom, whatever, what's his name? Tom, Tom Emmer. Emmer, yeah. Well, Never the issue, so the issue is, yeah. is that with House seats, and I've, and I've opined on this before, is that 435 House seats is the same number of seats in the House of Representatives that existed in the, in the 40s, because that's when they froze the size of the House. Now, the United States had 145 million people living in it at that point. Yeah, there, there are 200 million more people today, yep. the same number of representatives. So that's a problem yep. for representation purposes. You know, yep. you, can look in, you can look at red and blue states and you realize that, you know, there are districts where... You know, while 30% of the state might be Republican or Democrat, none of the districts are, are yeah. run by that party because they're not a majority in any district. So you've got oh, these guys oh, that, yeah. you know, you have, you have Republicans who come out and who know as a matter of whole that they, if they intend to be reelected, most of them want to be. If they work with the opposition side, and this is both sides, if their districts, their seat is controlled by the primary members of their party who will yeah. replace them if they if they work with the other side. These yeah, are, these are uh, what they what these that, what these politics. seats are is their safe seats. So when I say safe seats, it's if you're part of the right part. If you're the if you're the winner of the primary for the correct party, you will be elected. That's what a safe seat is. But yeah. if you if you displease the primary voters who tend to be more extreme, who tend to be further out on the spectrum, either way, and who tend to be less willing to work with the other side. And so that's, it's, that's what's happened is, yeah. is they have essentially, they've gerrymandered themselves into control <laughs> to the point now where they can't actually do anything. They've gerrymandered their districts yeah. into safe seats and now they can't 
do their jobs. Well, so I, so I, I mean, I, I don't know anything about this Tom Ever guy, and and now you don't I, have to. It's the best. Part. That's what I'm saying. I wanted to look him up before we started recording. Before I poured this nice jam of uh, Lagavulin for the fifth time. Um, yeah, like I wanted to to look this guy up, but now that he literally, like, I mean, he was the nominee, the front runner for what five hours. <laughs> it was not even 12 i remember yeah. as, as i no. looked at it yeah no it was I, I think it was about five six hours he was the he was the front runner and he's like i don't i don't know anything about this guy and i'm not i'm not he's from minnesota that's all i know um and i'm not going to look he was indiana about him. Uh, he was born in indiana um but i think he's oh, okay that yeah he represents technically minnesota yep. i don't know though um for sure. Nope, he is. Because Minnesota I don't know. 26th. Okay, that was lucky guess. Um, so, um, well, I did breeze over that article for a little bit from Washington yeah. Journal, but no idea. Do you know who the front runner is now? I, I guess it's too soon. No. Is it too soon? Okay, perfect. They haven't. They haven't had another vote. I know who it's not. I know who it can't be. Who? It can't be. It can't be Emmer. It can't be Jim Jordan. Jim Jordan. It can't be Scalise. And it, nope. it can't be Kevin McCarthy. Those are the only four <laughs> it can't be. Okay, that's good to know. Um, you know what? Like, I'll say this: there's good options out there. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna fight it. Like, yeah, I don't. Yeah, I, I don't know who I want it to be. Like, clearly they don't either. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's all I got. Is yeah, uh, I, I think the whole House of Representatives things is, is is completely a debacle. It looks like right now. I just looked this up, so don't give me credit for being smart or well read or whatever. But Mike Johnson from Louisiana, never heard of this guy. Um, went to LSU, on Shreveport represents the fourth district in louisiana he's the front runner now um okay rest in peace mike johnson tom ever nice, nice well you. lasted yeah um I, we'll, we'll we'll see what happens tomorrow but until then if you want to stay warm i know it's getting cold out i know it's snowing in lincoln where james goldwater is uh if you want to stay not great warm for natural gas prices yeah not great for natural <laughs> gas prices but if you want to stay warm i can tell you exactly how to do that you can go drunkonomical.myspreadshop.com wait wait is it wait, drunkonomical or drunkonomics.myspreadshop.com that's a great question you're right it's drunkonomics.myspreadshop.com yeah. still enjoy being at drunkonomical but it's drunkonomics.myspreadshop.com wow it's been a minute yeah <laughs> but yeah you can check us out there you can find some sweet merch and all i'm gonna say is this if you want to be Speaker of the House, go ahead and get some Drunkenomics merch. I'm not saying it'll hurt. It's not going to help, but it won't hurt your chances. I mean, it certainly won't hurt your chances. Yeah, because they'll know that this guy knows how to play chestnut checkers. But with that, also, we are Bartenders by Trade. If you want to leave a tip in the tip jar, anything there is very much greatly appreciated. You can go to Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. C-O-M slash Drunkenomics. D-O-U-N-K-N-O-M-I-C-S. You can leave the tip in the tip jar. Uh, help us uh, fill and kill. Uh, help us keep that the ice cold. Help us uh, keep the lights on. Help us keep the liquor flowing. I did run out of lemons because I made all those Manhattans the last couple episodes. So anything there would be greatly appreciated in terms of helping me uh, restock my my lemon inventory. But uh, yeah, with that. Hey, and if you're and if you're um, hearing this and it's still the 27th, check out uh, check out the spread shop. Uh, I think right now it's 25% off all stuff. I'll check oh, and make nice. sure, but. It's a pretty sweet sale for yeah. for the holidays. Yeah, um, seriously. That'd be awesome. But uh, from there, seriously, like I said earlier, remember to film kill. Don't brag. Just say, always play chestnut checkers. Uh, and most importantly, my encouragement to you for the rest of the week is to... Whether you're up what? with that speaker's roll or not, just stay drunk and optical, guys. <laughs> That's what it is. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. <laughs>